0: Amen. So we've been um, going through this whole thing with Hebrews and there are a couple different levels of application in this because, uh, you know, we certainly as New Testament Christians gain our understanding, our doctrine, our position from this. But it's important that we view it through the lens that it was written, which is to Jewish believers. And in particular, uh, the Jews were uh, coming to converts to Christianity, and they were insisting that in order to be Christian, they had to first convert to Judaism, become Jewish first in order to become uh, Christian, <clears throat> so that debate is intermingled very heavily in all of this, and then you have those who had come into Christianity and then were literally departing out of Christianity to return back into Judaism. So the author is writing a, a lot of different perspective, a lot of different doctrine regarding the law and the observation of the law and uh, worship and sacrifices and the priesthood and giving explanation as to how Christians should be conducting themselves in light of all of that history. And uh, it would be very cumbersome to try and go back at this point and refresh all of those points. But most recently, we were looking at uh, Jesus as the high priest uh, in the order of Melchizedek and then the need for the change of the priesthood and the law and you come to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 says it where it says for the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. So, uh, again, the clarification that the law is not the substance of the thing. Jesus is the substance that we're looking for. I always make the illustration um, very repetitive, but you know my wife travels a little bit and when I go to pick her up at the airport I don't fall down on the floor at her arrival and begin to embrace her shadow I'm very very grateful that her shadow has returned home but it's only returned home because the substance of my wife has returned Christ is the substance the law and all that he's describing is the shadow of Christ so so we want to look certainly the shadow has its importance certainly the shadow points to literally as shadows do the existence of Christ the fulfillment of all of these things but the law is the shadow it's not the very thing it's not the substance in this case and then he's Making this point of the continuation would need to go on, so in light of uh, in the sacrifices, in light of Jesus being the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, then there's also the abandonment, the annulment of the need of sacrifice because that you know for the Jews, we don't think that way, but for the Jews, uh, you know the question would. Presumably, automatically be okay. We've got a new priest, but why aren't there sacrifices involved in this? Why aren't we continuing the process? You know, okay, it's not of the line of Aaron, but it's Jesus in the line of Melchizedek. Shouldn't he be accepting our sacrifice? The point is, right, we've talked about it, he'll talk about it more. Jesus was the sacrifice, so, so there's no need for the continuation. You uh, we know, We're going to see, as it's described already, the animals weren't even capable of making perfect, as it just stated. They could cover the sin, but they didn't remove the sin. They didn't do away with the sin. That's why there was the constant continuation in need. The imperfect animal... Is being substituted for the imperfect human, but come the perfect Jesus, then you don't need right because it, it completely does away with the imperfections of the human being. Imperfect can't you know completely cleanse, perfect, complete uh, the um, uh, you know the imperfect. Imperfect can't complete the imperfect. Only the perfect is capable of even doing that. So here we get that statement, verse 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? Question mark. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. You got to rewind all the way back to uh, the Lord in the garden, uh, having warned Adam and Eve. Uh, we read that you know, in eating of the tree, you will die. And uh, you know, the scholars point out that the original language said that in dying, you will die. The spiritual death through their disobedience occurred immediately. The evidence of that is their realization of their nakedness. They understand guilt much like the conscience is described here. The sudden awareness of the failure and then the eventual death. You know, what a, what a terrible thing uh, it must have been to begin to see the deterioration come into play. You know, that, that morning where Adam gets up for the first time and he's got that pain in his back. You know, what is going on with this? And, you know, and of course, the progression towards death brought them to the death of Abel, their son. How horrifying that must have been. Uh, to have to experience that. You know, parents experiencing a death of a child, you know, unimaginable, overwhelming pain. Uh, let alone, you know you were designed to be in the presence of the Lord for eternity. You've sacrificed that by sinning, and now it's cost one of your children their lives. So that death being the result of sin for everyone Death has to be satisfied. The the idea that if a person sins, then death is going to be the result. Substitutionary atonement, the animal takes the death. So rather than us experiencing the death, the animal experiences the death. But the sin isn't done away with. The continuation of sin goes on. So now the need for Christ and the perfect sacrifice which will do away with the sin, completely removing it from us. Uh, So here uh, in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats uh, could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. So the prophet was telling us long beforehand that the sacrifices were not going to accomplish that finished work, and singular, there was a body that was being prepared. That was Jesus Christ. So so from the onset of creation, well, really, uh, the Scripture tells us that before the foundations of the world, the Lord was preparing for this moment where Jesus Christ would enter into the picture and do away with sin. I mean, I think it's important for us to understand that concept of doing away with sin. He's going to talk about our perfection here by the end of the chapter. And, um, you know, it's it's a positional thing. We sometimes, you know, talk about sanctification as a a process that we're going through. And that's certainly true. You know, we're being cleansed, we're being matured, uh, we're experiencing growth. But in Christ, positionally, we are already sanctified. We are already cleansed. We are already perfected. There, there is no more need. This is this is the ceasing from the work that is being talked about over and over again. Uh, you know, certainly right, resulting works. We've been saved, therefore, that should result in works in our lives. But it isn't an effort to achieve the position. Oh, I'll work very hard and then God will you know give me salvation the justification. He'll give me sanctification, the cleansing. He'll give me glorification when I reach his presence. All of those things have already been granted to us. Signed, sealed, delivered. The check has been written. The name Jesus Christ is on the slot. We simply accept that and the payment is made. So here that body was prepared And uh, the the prophet goes on, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Listen, not the idea that he was disgusted with it or hated it, right? But the issue was that God took pleasure in the fellowship. God took pleasure in the relationship. It, It wasn't like God was like, oh, Bulls. I'm so excited. Today we're going to have, you know, t- it's goats today. Great. I just love it when they sacrifice goats. God, God wasn't excited about, you know, what the animal was. He wasn't excited about the actual sacrifice. The The goal was you and I. He, he wanted that relationship in, in our lives. You know, the, the root word in religion is if you did a transliteration, it would closely be uh, reconnecting. And and the idea is that, you know, unfortunately, religion is man trying to reconnect, right? I mean, certainly the book of James tells us that pure religion and undefiled is this, that you would care for the widow and the orphan and their need and keep oneself spotted from the world. So, I mean, you have that concept of religion, but really... God makes the connection, right we, we, you know we aim at it through all of our different processes, even these sacrifices, and in the end, it takes God reaching down. You know, I, I think Joe Foch was describing it as uh, you know like trying to go from America to Europe on your skateboard you know just get the huge running start and off the end of the dock you go you know and you make it what 20 feet closer 10 feet closer you know and the the, the guy the next guy is you know attaches the rocket engine to his motorcycle and you know hits the ignition switch and blasts off and he makes it what a few hundred feet out there before gravity takes over and he crashes in and the guy on the motorcycle thinks that he's smarter than the guy on the skateboard you know one man's religion compared to another man's religion you're still a gajillion miles off you're not you're not making the connection. That, that requires the supernatural capability of God to reconnect. And, th- and that's what this is here. It is, yeah, the sacrifice is right. covering. It's an, it's an admission of guilt. It's, it's understanding death is the result and the requirement for sin. But the, the reconnect, the atonement can only occur through Jesus Christ's blood. Then I said, Behold, I have come, and in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Not not pleasure in the sacrifice, obedience, right? I mean, draw this, uh, you know, students back to Saul in that very moment that's being hinted at here where he's been disobedient, right, with the slaughter of the Amalekites, But, you know, as Samuel, the prophet's confronting him, he's saying, oh, I I kept all of these, you know, animals so that we could perform sacrifice. And and the Lord makes the statement of, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, I have no joy, I have no pleasure in these sacrifices. To obey is better than sacrifice. Uh, Jesus Christ comes and in perfect obedience. So strange that Hebrews tells us that He learned obedience, right? If I said that, it would be blasphemous or sacrilegious. Uh, The Holy Spirit said it through the author of Hebrews that Jesus learned obedience. Well, you know, the, the understanding is the Garden of Gethsemane, especially, he's saying, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. That's the obedience in the process. For the first time in eternity, Jesus' will has been different than the will of the Heavenly Father. And Jesus submits himself to it. That's what makes the sacrifice so perfect. Is that he had choice. And, and rather than rebel against God, which every one of us would have done, you know, if we had that power at our disposal in our sinfulness... We would have avoided it. Jesus does not. Now, in verse 8, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. And I think it's important, for us to remember the very first miracle right the water to wine it's a summary we you know we throw a few things in there that leave leave us sometimes thinking that wasn't jesus intention right mary comes and says whatever he says if you haven't silenced your phone you know he Mary comes and says whatever Jesus tells you to do do that and and Jesus responds you know woman what do I have to do with you in this situation essentially is what he's saying but he performs the miracle that that is the earmark of his entire ministry that the latter is superior than the former that what he brings It outshines the law, right? You know, they go through that explanation of normally what happens in these settings is, you know, they they bring out the good wine, and when everybody's had their fill of the good wine, then they bring out the inferior wine, the cheap junk, and, you know, people uh, continue to drink uh, the lesser. You've brought the superior wine at the end of the feast. Jesus brought what was superior after the fact, the law had come, all that they observed, the temple, the sacrifices, that was all inferior to what Jesus provided. You know, He finishes the work to tell us, right? It is finished. All things are finished. And whatever it was you thought you were going to do to achieve God's grace, to achieve His blessing, to achieve His acceptance, Jesus accomplished that. If if you're going to take a shot at it, then you're left on your own. Uh, later, it's going to tell us that if if we do things according to the law to try and achieve, you know, salvation essentially, then we are estranged from Christ. Christ, Christ is the one who did the work. Uh, you know, it's, it, it gets muddled in our mind because we know we should be doing works, right? But that's response. It's a response to the fact that the work has already been done. James gives such clarity to the fact, you know, faith without works is dead. There should be, there must be a response to the sacrifice Jesus Christ performed. But make no mistake, you're not saving yourself. Jesus Christ accomplished that. He is the one who provided salvation through the process. So No desire for the sacrifices. It's for the person, and Jesus Christ is the one who accomplished that. Verse 9. Then he said, Behold, I come to do your will, O God. Take away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We have been sanctified. It's such an interesting concept, you know. Certainly, again, I, I just I need to c- clarify these things over and over so we really get the understanding of the picture, right? You're growing, you're maturing, you know. You're you're being sanctified, you're being purified, but positionally, you have already been sanctified. This this is why Jesus says to the thief at the cross, right? I tell you that today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, That guy doesn't get to, you know, do any works. Uh, He really does, doesn't he? Because to this day, he's preaching to us every time we read that passage. so, So his testimony, right? What is the work, Jesus said? The work that you must do is that you will believe in the one who was sent, Jesus Christ. That's the source of salvation is our belief. So the sanctification, you know. Some people want to argue with me about this, and I'm not trying to create an an argument or a new doctrine or anything weird like that. We have been, past tense, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The, The offering was made once for all, and the sanctification occurred once for all. You have been delivered. You know, that that whole idea, right, uh, that he would cleanse us of every sin, past, present, and future, where we we have positionally been cleansed by Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Verse eleven, every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Now, just we'll we'll cover. The subject, but I just want to make a historical note right here for us. This is an evidence that the letter of Hebrews was written prior to 70 AD because uh, the uh, sacrifices and the priesthood were halted by Rome's invasion and the sacking of Jerusalem to where they are not. So so if that had already taken place, then he would have said that in the past they had stood. He puts it in the present tense. Every priest stands, present tense, ministering. So that was still going on at this point. He stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Uh, so here, here it is again conceptually that if we get ourselves caught up into legalism, as though our behavior and our processes are going to provide us with salvation, right? I, I mean, I've had so many various conversations over the years with people that are trapped in you know four different forms of legalistic Christianity where you know we we never you know the women of our church never cut their hair you know they 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 continue to tie it up in a bun and if they ever want to shorten it then it has to be you know burned off it can't be cut off they got all these strange rituals you know the men of our church you know only wear a very specific type of clothing the women only wear and and I'm talking I'm talking broadly because you know, if you talk to one certain group, they've got their wardrobe. You can talk to another group, they've got their wardrobe. You know, there's, you know, the whole polyester suit crowd and, you know, the other guys that are just, you know, all dressed in black and wide-brim hats. And, you know, the, the, the idea, nothing wrong with any of those things, but the idea that this is what makes me acceptable to God. You know, whether it's a goat that you've taken or a sheep that you've taken for sacrifice or some work you're doing, you're you're saying Jesus Christ's sacrifice didn't cover my sins. I have to also do this in order to be acceptable to God. Um, you know, it, one of the ones I will directly address, because it is a false religion, is those that say, uh, okay, you were baptized, but were you baptized in Jesus' name? You know, and, and the answer... Know, they they're literally talking about was that phrase uttered over you as you were submerged into the water I baptize you in Jesus name right we don't do that i've been encouraged by pastors that i should include that you know when you when you baptize will why don't you just cover the bases like like say i baptize you in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and in jesus name I don't do it because that's me caving into a legalistic pressure that doesn't do anything, right? I I mean, your salvation is intact because you believed in Jesus Christ's sacrifice. That's how you accomplished salvation. That's how Jesus accomplished salvation in you was by you trusting in his ability to save you you're you're being baptized right how how you know many of us in this room have studied Romans 6 together in detail that that is an outward sign of the inward change you're you're declaring to the world i am dead to my sin and my flesh i'm being buried with christ i'm symbolically being resurrected out of this water to live in a newness of life uh, you know so so you've been baptized it, it isn't you know the 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 magic words uttered over you as you were submerged. Uh, some of us, you know, came up in denominations where you know the priest giving you uh, you know the Eucharist, the the bread and the wine that was the source of salvation. You know others, their their continued unbroken membership in a specific church was the thing that granted them eternity in heaven. If that's what you're relying in, again, Hebrews says you're estranged from Christ. Estranged from Christ? Christ is a stranger to me? I'm a stranger to Christ, and Christ is a stranger to me? That's a shuddering thought, right? Because at the judgment, he says he's going to separate the sheep from the the goats, and, and the goats are, you know, some of them at least are saying We cast out demons in your name. We did miraculous works. We evangelized in your name. And what does Jesus say? Depart from me. I never knew you. None of us wants to be in the place of being estranged from Christ. So it has to be the finished work of Jesus or nothing at all. You can't do Jesus and anything else. The minute you start trying to add to it, then you're taking away from it. It's a a terrible process. Some people get themselves caught up in. So here the the priest stands, offered these sacrifices. It says in verse 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Those priests didn't have any place to sit. There was no seating in the temple, right? Right. You got a table for some bread. You've got a candelabra, you know, for oil lamps. You've got Ark of the Covenant. You know, if you want to examine that a little closely, you discover a mercy seat there, the dwelling place of God, where the the blood of the sacrifice is poured out by the high priest. Jesus sits down upon the throne in heaven. Work finished. Work over, work done. You know, when, when, you know, if you've been an employee, been a boss, been a business owner, and you round the corner, the boss rounds the corner, and everybody jumps up, right? Right? Look busy. Here comes the boss. Jesus doesn't have to do that. He went through the process, he plowed through the finish line, he sat down. Work done. You guys want to keep working? Go ahead. I finished the work. You know, you want to shuffle around and look busy. Uh, You know, uh, what you're saying in the process is, I didn't finish the work. You've got to continue on, right? Uh, Think about the practicality of that insult. Whatever job there is, right? Building a house, you know, some big complex thing, some very small thing. You know, just... Take an example of doing the dishes. You've had a bunch of people over. There's a big pile of dishes. You spend the time. Everybody else has left, and you spend the time to stay right there, put all the food away, wash all the dishes, pick everything up, get rid of the trash. It's all done. You've finished everything, and you've taken a seat, and you're just relaxing and enjoying yourself. And somebody comes in and starts getting the dishes back out and putting them in the dish pan, and like, what? You're making busy work. You're trying to look like you were part of finishing up here. I finished up. It's all been put away. I completed the project. Jesus finished this job, right? They're continuously standing. This isn't a small point. The priests are continuously standing. At this point, present tense, constantly working, constantly sacrificing, always about the care of the temple. Jesus just goes right through all of that to the cross, into the grave, right to the right hand of the Father. Work done. Everybody should just sit down now. There's no more work to be done. Jesus has finished it. It's a beautiful picture to, uh, for us to understand. It's this process. You know, we've seated at the right hand of the Father for from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, right? We don't presently see that. He's seated, right? This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Guess what? They presently already are. But we're going to go through some motions. And we're going to get to the finish line where Jesus Christ is seen as the ultimate, absolute authority of all things. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Even those that are most opposed to him. right? They will make this confession. They will perform this act of worship. For by one offering, he has... Perfected forever, those who are being sanctified. We are sanctified positionally, but we're being sanctified, so you get both sides of that picture. And here, again, present tense, we are referred to as perfect. So, you know, next time somebody says that to you, what do you think, you're perfect? You know, yeah. you've at least got the ammunition to fire back. Yes, I am. You know, in Christ, I have been made perfect. You might sound a little smug in the you know circumstances if you do that, but the truth of the matter is you are because you are clothed in Christ. You are housed in Christ. You are part of the body of Christ. Christ is perfect. So through that process, we are made perfect. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he had said before, so we, we get this Further witness, verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Such a gracious verse, right? You know, couple that with. Uh, 1 John 1, nine. if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, the guilty conscience can just wear you down, can't it? It's just, I mean, my enemy, I'm, I am super susceptible to this, and my enemy knows right where that bullseye is all the time. I, you know, I don't have big, huge things. He'll drag up some stupid little thing. And just throw it, you know, I I guess we're probably all old enough to remember that phrase. You know, throw it right in your spokes. <laughs> you know, you're riding your bike and somebody, you know, one of your idiot friends throws a stick right in your spokes and it just goes up around to where it meets the frame of the bike and your front tire stops on a dime and you go cartwheeling into Never Never Land. Uh, the devil knows how to do that to me. And the Lord has had to be right there at my side and remind me that's already gone man <laughs> I've already forgiven you of that you know you don't have to dwell on this again you don't have to ask me forgiveness again I just get, I get so embarrassed with oh my gosh I can't believe what kind of human being I am just the terrible behavior of my past he's constantly just rubbing my nose he doesn't have the right to do that right What was that um, Revelation nine twelve. I forget where. You, you guys remember the verse that says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, right? She's always there. Like, you know, it's like that. He's like that bully on the bus that just you know, as soon as you get you know one step up, he's got to remind everybody about that time you were complete knucklehead, just to you know, put you down. That's the way my enemy works. It just grates on us. And I know a lot of people deal with that. Um, people often tell me, Oh, you need to just do this or that or grow up or you know, whatever, mature. Yeah, I'm I'm still waiting for that day to come. My enemy still knows how to tinker with me, knows how to discourage me. We have to pick ourselves up in the grace of God and move on. Remembered no more. Gone. It's done. Away with the way the Lord, you know, forgets these things and we aren't, you know, having to deal with them anymore. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture that the Lord uh, paints for us. Covenant that I will make with them after these days, says the Lord, putting this law on their hearts. He adds their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. There is something about the way that God writes upon people's hearts. Um, I've learned to trust that over the years. Uh, I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in others where you're trying to share with them. You're trying to convict people of things. You know, just like you need to leave this life. This is terrible. You need to find your freedom in Christ. And they act like, no, this is fun. I like it. there's There's no negativity to everything I'm doing and experiencing. Well, the conviction is there. And what you're sharing with them is true. And I've known it experientially in my own heart that I knew what I was doing wrong was wrong. And I've had enough of them come back and say, you know, that time we were talking, I knew, I knew you were right. I knew I was wrong. I, I mean, I don't dwell on it. I don't take the position of the devil and rub their nose in it the way that I hate so badly. But know that the conviction is there that God is saying to them the things that are so deeply convicted, that that would draw them unto himself, that would free them from their sin. The law is written on the hearts and the minds. God has placed that conscience there. Now, where uh, where there is a remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. If you've been forgiven, you don't need to have more sacrifices made, right? So to the Christian, you know, that legalism of, yeah, yeah, right, Christ has forgiven me, but I've also got to do this in order to be acceptable to him. No, nope. no, nope, you don't. You know, to the Jew in the day of, well, it just doesn't seem right. I mean, we've always offered goats and sheep and sacrifices, so I just I feel so compelled. Do this. You know, I've had friends that were delivered from Seventh day Adventism and, you know, the doctrine that kept them bound under that legalism. And, you know, for them to go enjoy themselves on a Saturday is like heart wrenching at first. They're convinced like it's the lightning is probably going to fall on us. You know, if we go to the mall with the kids. We're probably all going to get killed. And having to learn the grace of God in that process, you know. Certainly, the Lord wants us to take a day of rest. He wants us to worship, right? Jesus said, "The Sabbath, you know, man is not given to the Sabbath. The Sabbath is given to man. It's a gift from God to rest in, in what He has given us." But this idea, you know, that you don't have to continue now where there is a remission of these, the lawless deeds, right? The sins done away with, where where these things have been removed, we don't have to then offer sacrifices anew in order to try and achieve these things. Therefore, so so right? The therefore, we've got to find out what it's there for. Everything that's just been said and more but particularly what we've most directly said. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Whoa, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Only the high priest gets to go into the holiest, right? I mean, for the Jew, this is like, whoa, 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 what are you saying? Into the holiest, into the presence of God? In before the Ark of the Covenant? Yes. Yes, that belongs to you and I. We get to go into that. Therefore, given all these things, we have access, bold access. Oh, it was a fearful intrepidation to go in there once a year, right? It's been confirmed, it's not just rumor that they put the bells around the hem of the high priest's robe and they tied a rope to his ankle so that when he went in once a year to bring the blood of the sacrifice and pour it upon the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant, if the bells stopped ringing and you heard that dead body thud on the floor, (laughs) give a tug on the rope, and see if you get anything pull back. And if no response, and you call the name, and you pull on the rope, well, then just drag the dead body out under. Because you can't go in there. You're not the high priest. Uh, you know, the, the, the severity of entering that place was was you know a gravity that they all shuddered at the thought of. Wow, the responsibility of being the high priest and going into the presence of God, the veil was torn, right? Eighty feet tall, ripped, top to bottom, opened wide up. Here's the Ark of the Covenant. You now have free access into this place. Boldly, right? Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus in our hands, That's what gives us access to this location. Not your purity, not your goodness. The the sacrifice that has been made by Jesus is what gives you access to the presence of God by a new and living way which he consecrated for us. Not death, not the death of an animal, right? That sacrifice that was made for us is the one true living God. It's a new and living way that has been opened for us through the veil that is his flesh. The entrance is through his flesh, through Jesus, through the access, right? What did he say to his disciples? You think this is amazing. You wait. You're going to see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Not that they're going to come and minister to him. They certainly did that you know, during the temptation and then there at the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, the idea that he's the ladder. He's the stairwell by which they go from heaven to earth. That he is the portal by which they pass back and forth. He is the portal by which we can enter behind the veil, the boldness that we have. Having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The priestly process that went on, right? The cleansing that took place there in the lavers as they prepared themselves to go in and perform their duties. The water. That that not only, by the way, did it ceremonially cleanse them, but you may remember those bronze lavers were made out of the mirrors that the women brought out of Egypt, right? So as they looked in there to cleanse themselves, they had a reflection of themselves. You get to see how ugly you are. You get to see how flawed you are as you go through the ceremony of cleansing yourself. The blood of the sacrifice sprinkled on everything, right? Blood and water mingled together upon uh, the book of the law, upon the tabernacle, upon the priest, upon. Sounds gruesome, but this blood cleanses, right? This blood does not leave contamination, It is so pure, it removes your contamination. The blood of Jesus Christ takes away the sin. It's a beautiful thing that the Lord has done for us. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance. Notice, you know, it's not pure heart. It's a true heart. One that believes the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is capable of these things with full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, the water of God's word, right? You're already cleansed, Jesus said, by my words. Husbands, wash your wives in the water of the word, the cleansing that occurs. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's what you need to hold in. Not your capabilities, Jesus' capabilities, right? And the assurance is in his salvation. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So within the body of Christ, stir one another up toward love and good works. You notice somebody has a particular gifting of encouragement or something of that nature, service. Works, organization, encourage them to do those things in the body of Christ. Challenge them to do it. I notice you're very good at this. I notice that you don't do it. <laughs> Put that to work. Be part of it, which is exactly what this is saying. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. Not, as, not forsaking it, right? The government's gearing up for trying to get us to do that again. Right? We're going to have to all wear masks and be six feet apart and not go to church. We're not going to do any of those things. We're going to meet right here in this building, and we're going to have church because Christ has called us to do this. Now, notice, right, it says the assembling together. Right? I, I am a Lego freak, grew up playing Legos, like Legos, do Legos. I got a crane at my house that is all Legos. Big 18-inch tall thing, extends out to nearly 20 inches, lifts little things and all this stuff. Well, got that when I was 12 years old. And that got all intermingled with, you know, Legos over the years. And I was in my 20s, haven't touched Legos in years. And I thought, if I do not put that together, the pieces are going to get lost. So I sat down, reassembled the whole crane, put it in a box, boom, done, there. The crane is assembled. I have it. It's assembled. That's exactly what this is meaning. This is it, right? My, Legos, you can just sweep them all into a pile, right? I, I had this big canvas thing as a kid, round circle. Legos, stay on that, play on that. Sweep them all back onto that, draw a pick them all up. That's not what the Lord is talking about right here. It's not talking about just all bunched together in the same place. It's this thing has a fitted purpose and work, and this one does too, and it interlocks with that, and this one interlocks with that, and that one is connected to this, and this is connected to that, and they all work together as one assembled thing. You've got a calling. Every single one of us in this room. And the neglect of the assembling is that very thought right there. So many people gather, right? Just, let's just rake all these Christians up into one pile. No, no. Finding your purpose, interlocking with the next one, and performing the function is what that's saying. We need to be assembled together for the purpose of God, which is what he just previously said about caring for one another's needs doing for and being for one another. I need to encourage you. You need to encourage me. Here's the deal. Sit here tonight, look across, a few of us here. And you can be left thinking like, is all of this work worth it? Yeah, leave, drive, come together, do, set up, tear down. I looked back through the past weeks. I was sitting out front when Doug came in, just scrolling through Facebook. The past Wednesdays, on average, 70 people view that every week. Sometimes it's 113. Sometimes it's 40. Add them all up. Rough estimation, 70 people, Wednesday nights, are tuning in and watching this. Right. Listen, if you're within driving distance, you should be here. But, you know, I mean, if you're in New York, right, because we we had conversations uh, with people in New York, their churches got closed. They couldn't go to church at all. And this became their church. So we serve the body of Christ. But wherever we are, we need to see this being fulfilled, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Oh, the day's approaching, right? When we you know, first started following the Lord, we would see certain things and go, oh, is that prophecy? Is this kind of, Oh, that's neat. Wow, look at that. We have Bible studies and talk about, you know, current events. And this said, hey, if you can't look at what's going on around you right now and understand where we stand in time, then you are just flat out blind. The day is approaching <laughs> very, very rapidly. All the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully... After we have received the knowledge of the truth. Now, this is a very troubling verse for some people, but we'll try to work through the language here in the few minutes we have remaining. Willfully sin. That isn't the idea of, oh, I shouldn't, but I'm going to. It's the idea of, yeah, I know the Lord has told me to stop doing this thing, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to continue to do it anyway. I don't care. It's the idea of rebelling openly, and it's also the idea of after you've received the full experiential knowledge of the truth. It isn't just, I read the book once, and I saw what it said, and I don't really care. It's a matter of you've been through the process, and now you are willfully choosing to rebel against it. And added to this concept... There is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. This is not to say, right, that you can't be cleansed of the sin. It's the idea of you can't go back to the law and find any sin that would cover that type of behavior. Right. There there was no sacrifice for willfully, knowingly rebelling against God. There was the grace of God even back then. Right. David knew it was wrong to sleep with Bathsheba and then have her husband murdered, right? He knew that, and there was no sacrifice for that, just God's grace. Old Testament or New Testament, the only thing that's going to cover that behavior is God's grace, God's forgiveness. There's more to it, and we can debate all of the issues uh, as we move on. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who lives this way would put themselves into that realm. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has, number one, trampled the Son of God underfoot. Number two, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing or a thing to be disregarded. Number three, insulted the spirit of grace. Wow. I mean, the degree to which uh, you know the, the behavior of this individual is, is remarkable. I have, unfortunately, seen those that act like this. Full rejection of the faith. Walked in the faith, knew the faith, lived the faith, had an experience where they suddenly decided God is unjust and I don't want anything to do with him. Rejected God and returned to the old behaviors. And I plead and plead with this person when I see them periodically. And they don't return. They don't return. I have a fearful intrepidation for them. For the fiery indignation that lies ahead for them. I don't think that the Lord is telling us. That once you know better, if you screw up, God is going to strike you dead. It doesn't sound like the gracious Jesus Christ who restored David, who restored Peter. Right? Restored me and you. Yeah. I think that what it is, is when the individual, based on what we're seeing here has walked in the faith and then throws their faith away. Now, then the debate begins. Well, were they ever saved or did they lose their salvation? Probably. (laughs) Probably it's one of those. And that's between them and the Lord. In the meantime, I'm going to continue to plead with them. You know why? Because Jesus is the one who taught the parable of the prodigal son. You know just just go home <laughs> just just go home you know if you if you if you know these things, prodigal son knew didn't he? and he willfully rebelled, he took his inheritance. what is our inheritance? eternal life, right? He took his inheritance and went and wasted it on prodigal living, but he came to his senses and he returned home. I've talked to people who want to put it this side or that side of the issue and create a tremendous amount of anxiety for sinners. We're all sinners. And honestly, if we take that nuanced of a definition to these things, then every single one of us is guilty of that. If, If we create that impassable definition that once you knew, if you screwed up, it's over for you. Then that's all of us. That's every single one of us. There's a different level, and I think it's contained in those three things. You know, the 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 trampling of the son underfoot, right? Counted the blood of the covenant by which you sanctified a common thing, a worthless thing, insulted the spirit of grace, literally, you know, dismissed God. From all of his efforts to reach them. It's a terrible thought. You can wrestle with that and you can argue with me. But I think that if anyone is in that condition and fearful, repent. Return home. And then you're not under that classification. You find the grace of God in the process. So we know him who said vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord and again the lord will judge his people it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living god and yes amen it is but i think that sometimes human beings are more vengeful than god himself i think at times we are it's better to leave things unsaid that are unsaid by god but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, partly while you became companions of those who were so treated, for you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven therefore do not cast away your confidence which has great reward for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God you may receive the promise the Horrible, tortured state of existence that many of these Jewish believers experienced. The horrible experience that we have being lumped in with them, right? It's, it's amazing to me that there on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that if you are persecuted and reviled, then you receive a blessing, for so they treated the prophets. He equates our light affliction of ridicule as being summarily equal to what the prophets went through. That's that's really gracious. <laughs> when When people snarl and curl their lip at us and say some snide thing about our faith as Christians, you know, Oh, you're one of those creationists. You know, they'll say something vile towards you. Be joyful, Jesus said. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing uh, that we get to experience the acceptance, the same acceptance. So it's an interesting thing. You'd think you'd need to go through the you know being sawed in half in a log in order to qualify. And, and the Lord says, no, if, if you're being ridiculed, that's how they used to treat the prophets. That's a remarkable thing that we've been brought in. So whether we have great tribulations or we have been associated with them, the plundering of our goods, right, the the things that we could have experienced and had if we had not embraced the faith, if we had gone the way of the world, you allowed certain things to happen in your life. You know, in this day, they would just come in and take all of their belongings away. In our lives, there are certain sacrifices we have to make. You know, you come to the moment where you have to make a decision. Am I going to live by my faith here? Right? You know, I I have been told you can't talk about Jesus on this job anymore. Well, I'm going to continue to. And I ended up getting fired. You know, I know several people that have had to. Leave their job because of their faith. You know, we have suffered in the process. We will receive reward. Endurance is necessary. We're going to have to go through these things. Verse 37, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. And now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Just live by faith. The three coupled together. You want to be one of the just? You're going to have to live out this faith. There's no shirking away from it. This statement, yet a little while. The author of Hebrews wrote that saying an extremely short amount of time. Well, Wait a minute. You know, almost 2,000 years has passed. And and here uh, the author is saying, no, it's coming really, 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 really soon. Well, if it was coming really soon for the author of Hebrews, then it must be right on the doorstep for us. It must be here, now, eminent. You can't take this and say, well, it didn't happen, and therefore it's not accurate, and therefore I don't believe it now. No, the author of this was telling us what spirit we should function in, and that is the idea of the eminent, immediate return of Jesus Christ. We must live as though it is the here and the now. It's not a long ways away. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, wastefulness, loss, uselessness. That's not us, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul our own soul and any that we can reach amen as jude said reaching even into the fire to save some from the destruction our our lives are lives of salvation for ourselves and anyone around us anyone that we can reach to anyone that we can share with that's what we need to pray for listen i'll just i'll try to close with this thought the prodigals right we've talked about that and and, you know some of us have been that um the, the thing that brings the prodigals home is pain embarrassment and want that's what does it right it isn't goodness it's not bailing them out it's not doing all kinds of wonderful things for them and just you know, taking care of their court fines and trying to repair their car and pay off their rent. And that never brings them to Christ. Pain, embarrassment, and want are the three things that cause the prodigal to come home. Oh, I don't want to confront them. I might drive them further away. No, you know what might drive them further away? Is you softening the circumstances for them you're extending the leash. (laughs) It needs to be hard. It needs to be difficult. You need to let them suffer the circumstances that would force them to repentance. You don't have to be cruel. You don't have to heap problems upon them, right? They're creating enough of that for themselves. But what we just read, right about those? Oh, I don't want anyone to depart from the grace of God and experience the, you know, fearful, trembling, you know, fiery indignation. I don't want that. Well, then let them suffer the circumstances. That that's the thing that's going to help them come to the place they need to be, right? All of those, you know, encouraging posters that are so applicable. No pain, no gain. All that different stuff. It's through the trials, right? that we learn and that we grow and that we mature. So here, what Christ has provided for us, this beautiful sacrifice that covers all things so that we can come boldly into his presence. We need to let Christ work those things out in our lives so that we're walking in fellowship with him rather than walking away from that fellowship. Amen? Well, Hall of Faith next week, Hebrews chapter 11. So we'll pick up there. Why don't we stand and we'll pray together. Father, we are grateful for your love and your graciousness in our lives. And we pray that you would help us to walk in obedience to you, that you would accomplish what you want to in each and every one of our hearts. We long to see all of these things fulfilled. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.